welcome to the Shekilola Salami Show. I'm Shekilola Salami, and it's a virtual cafe podcast. How are you all doing? Um, I'm all the way in London, um, being exhausted as always. Um, thankfully, my cold has gone away. Um, this week, I actually found something that obviously most people know, but I never actually did. Um, and so I got a little picture. Uh, well, actually, I didn't have a picture at home. It was a nice one of my measuring jobs. And I was looking for a picture and I didn't have one. I just said, you know what, um, whatever. I just got um, some lemon, sliced some lemon, put some pineapple slices into my nice measuring jug, put some water in it, um, let it infuse for a couple of hours. And I found that every time I was drinking it, immediately I had a sip, my nostrils, you know, my, my passageway opened. And so literally, you know, my cold that would normally have taken like three weeks, four weeks to go. In literally less than a week, Touchwood is gone. I was just so impressed. I was like, I knew that you're supposed to take honey and lemon and all of these things, but how come I never did it before? And so I was just really impressed because I was thinking, I don't want to be buying juice to just infuse in my water. And literally from now, I can't imagine drinking water without lemon um, in it. But yes, anyway, so that was just it. So you can hear that my throat is not as clear as it could be. But I think the water has helped to reduce the, you know, lengthy period. Because last year, you guys that followed me regularly know that my colds, they seem to take, just go on weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. So it's just been really, really nice for mine to go away. But I'm not going to bore you guys with talk of my cold and my lemon um, infused water. Who have I got here with me today? Hello, I'm Elizabeth Potts. And um, I'm, I'm an author, and uh, I live in California, in the U.S., in Santa Cruz, on the beach. It's a beautiful place. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a wife and mother. I'm a former teacher. I taught um, high school English, and uh, I'm here to talk about my first published novel. Oh, hi, Elizabeth. Uh, How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. Well, it's a virtual cafe. What can I get you? I would like a low-fat decaf medium latte. Okay, that that sounds low-fat. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, my my cafe, right? I mean, obviously, it's a virtual cafe, but I like to think of it as very futuristic. You know, think Star Trek. Um, so yes. Anything you can imagine. We've got it here. Even what you cannot imagine being possible, I'm sure my my virtual cafe can whip it up. Um, so yes, okay. And what would you like to drink? Um, what would you like to have with your drink? Um, I would like to have a morning bun. We call them morning buns. They're like a cinnamon roll. Right. Okay. Well, um, I. I'm sure though my, my cafe can do that, but actually what I think you may like, and because I'm a big fan of Oreo, using Oreo in baking, um, and uh -huh. only last night, you know, I decided to bake a batch of cookies um, just because, you know, I was, I was, I was no, I would normally buy biscuits for my daughter, but I just thought, you uh -huh. know, just do something. Um, and then, so I got like a big um, tub of butter um, and I was making it and then, because my bowl wasn't very big, I didn't put as much flour in it. Um, and so uh -huh. when it started off, it then became a little bit flat. But then when I had taken half of it, I then put extra flour. 
to make it thicker so it was a more crunchier um cookie but then the uh -huh. bit that i didn't put as much flour in it it actually turned out so when i've been to pizza hut and i don't go to pizza hut very much they do a soft cookie dough where you put ice cream on it um, oh yeah which is like my favorite thing from pizza hut right because it's like you've got this cookie dough that's really soft and you know just it just melts in your mouth but then it puts you know a dollop of ice cream on it so literally you're having the most delicious thing ever so i ended up making two types of cookies i ended up making a traditional um hard crunchy you know cookie but then i ended up making you know a soft you know a soft cookie dough that would be perfect with ice cream so do you want your cinnamon roll a soft cookie dough with ice cream or a traditional cookie and all my cookies have oreos in it so you know that they're just lush okay i think i will try the soft cookie uh dough with the ice cream perfect my choice because when i tried it i was like ah so that's why everything just sort of mushed together but it was so it was so like i don't know it's like i wish i could show you a picture of it but it's just so lush but yes i will go and get you one um and Thank then i send a little human to go and get it because you know i tried to get her used to doing hard work and you know sort of helping about um a bit so whilst she's sort of attempting to go and get everything um together tell me about your book what is it about um my book is uh well let me start by saying <clears throat> i was a student at uh university of california at berkeley during the late 60s during the vietnam war and my book is about those years in berkeley berkeley was really the epicenter of the anti-war movement among college students i'd say berkeley and um oh, a couple several other schools and it was a time of of it was 1967 to 69 it was a time of great turmoil in the united states in general but particularly um the anti-war movement in 1968 uh both martin luther king and bobby kennedy were killed um as i said we were at war um they were marching in the streets while i was a student we were tear gassed from the air while we walked to class um wow. we it That's yes and and uh one a student was killed uh, during a protest so um it was just as i said a time of great turmoil but my book is really about the young men of that time who were in college most of the young men i knew did not believe in the war they believed it was wrong um uh, intervening in someone else's civil war is how we really saw it and yeah. so they had to make a decision about what to do with their what they were going to do about it um yeah. you know were they going to go underground were they going to go to jail were they going to be conscientious objectors were they just going to go to vietnam even though they didn't believe in it so it, it's really about that about these this life-changing decisions that they had to make at that time in their lives but it's told through a girl's perspective who becomes a girl who becomes uh, deeply involved in the anti-war movement so that's really what it's really about the vietnam war the home front during the vietnam war right okay and what inspired you to write the book was it just because you were there in that era like why did you decide to write it now do you know why i was inspired is because i started hearing um 
uh, I think maybe in around the 80s, I started hearing things about, oh, the young men who didn't go to Vietnam were unpatriotic. They were um, cowards. Um, and I knew those kinds of things. And I knew from personal experience that that was not true, that many of them went to a lot of, uh, through a lot of difficulty uh, for their beliefs. Um, I knew uh, people who went to prison rather than go to Vietnam. And so I thought, you know, I need to tell the story about these people and, and, show, and show that they were brave, actually, not cowardly, um, because they stood up against the tide, stood up for what they believed in. That's that's no that's really that's a really um what's the word I'm looking that's a really lovely story. Um, would you like to share you know read from the book just so people can get an idea of what to expect, and then you tell us how you got into writing and how you got you know the, the whole process. Does that sound all right? Yes, that sounds good. I I think I'll read just uh, just a small excerpt from the very beginning of the book. Okay. Um. So here goes. I was trapped in a tiny room from which there was no escape. At least that's how I felt as a sophomore at Cromwell College, a small liberal arts school in Los Angeles, where every aspect of life was safe, controlled, and sterile, where I could feel myself stagnating more and more each day. Out of desperation, I'd latched onto another restless soul named Lisa, and together we embarked on a road trip to UC Berkeley. We heard that's where the action was, where students cared about what was going on in the world outside their ivy-covered walls, and we wanted to join them. Lisa and I left our, our, on our road trip to the Bay Area that spring. We cruised along in Lisa's sea-green Mustang convertible, driving across the San Francisco Bay Bridge with, for what it's worth, blasting on the radio, and crisp salt air punctuated by the rich aroma of coffee from the Folgers factory filling our lungs as we crossed over into Oakland. We got to Berkeley and drove up Telegraph Avenue to the place where it runs into the university. Lisa parked the car, and we just sat there transfixed, staring out the window at the crazy scene before us, barefoot hippies, preachers on soapboxes, protesters carrying signs, even a few balloon salesmen. The air was filled with a smell of popcorn, hamburger grease, espresso, incense, and cigarette smoke, all commingling to the beat of street musicians competing for spare change. Sitting there on that sunny afternoon, I could feel myself being pulled by a strange magnetic force into the vortex, the phantasmagoria, the carnival, the irresistible precipice that was Berkeley in 1967. I would never be the same again. So that's that's sort of the introduction to the to the book. All right. Okay. That was a very quick one. I thought we were going to get a nice little. Um one of the chapters okay but that no that sounds um really well, I, I could i could you know i could go on but uh, i i didn't know how long you wanted me to read oh okay well it's totally up to you um just so that you know people can get an idea of what um to read and i think i think people enjoy when the author does the reading um herself and they get an idea it's kind of like an audio book okay if you don't worry about it um i'm sure people who've who enjoyed the introduction would go and check out the book on amazon or wherever they normally buy um, it's on it's on amazon yes 
Okay, fabulous. Um, thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Now, when, when you decided that you wanted to write, what did you know about writing a book at the time? Well, I've, I've always written, um, you know, since I was young, I wrote, I've written poetry and, and short stories. Um, this was my first, well, actually, I'd written another novel before this, but this was my first, that was sort of a practice novel. This was my first novel that um, actually, so um, I, I, and I also taught, taught English in high school. So, so I knew about writing. Um, and I, I just delved into it. I just, you know, dove in head first and, and, uh, I knew what I, I knew what I wanted to say. And, uh, I just had to think about how to put it all together. I decided to throw in actual events in the world, like, like Martin Luther King's death and, and uh, Bobby Kennedy's death and, and different aspects of the war in Vietnam. So I, I do reference what's actually going on in the outside world. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, okay, if you, know, you knew a bit about writing, but what about publishing? How much did you know about publishing at the time? I knew nothing. <laughs> okay, so talk me through the process that you went through to learn about publishing. Um, you know, so you started off, you know, you knew a bit about writing, you had personal experience um because you know you were there at the time um in the 60s um and then recently you've heard about you know people calling those who didn't want to go in the war cowards and you decided you know what i would like to share my account of those times um you knew how to write you know you got on with your writing what did you do afterwards uh what did i do after i wrote this book yeah, so when you decided that you were going to write and then you said, you know, you started making draft plans and whatnot, did you just wait till you finished to then decide how you were going to publish it? Or were you doing it, both, you know, were you trying exploring your options to publish? You know, what were you doing? I, I don't know what to ask. Just what I, I didn't, I just, I, just, I just finished the book and then I thought, now, how am I going to publish it? So I didn't really think about it, about okay. that. Okay. So when you asked the question, what, how were you going to do it? What did you do? Um, well, uh, I guess I never really thought I self-published okay. through, through, uh, through create space, uh, on Amazon. Uh, I don't think I ever really thought about trying to get an agent. I mean, just hear how difficult it is to get a good agent as a first time writer, um, you get any agent period, but a good agent, very, very difficult. And then, um, and then publish, you know, a publisher then is the next step, which is also very difficult given how publishing houses are all, you know, so many of them are collapsing or combining and, um, uh, there just isn't as much opportunity as there used to be to, to get books published unless you're well known. Um, yeah. so, so how did you I find think, out about CreateSpace? I'm sorry? How did you find out about CreateSpace? Um, I don't remember exactly. It seems like it just, I, you know, just in talking to people, um, I, I heard about it. Um, and, the, well, the thing about CreateSpace is your novel has to be completely ready to publish before you give it to them. So 
they don't do any of the preparation. They do just the publishing. So I had to, and my son helped me with this because um, uh, he's good at this kind of thing, but he helped me uh, get it in shape to be published. Okay. I mean, I had to get, so for instance, I had to have a, a cover and for, for my cover, I'm really happy with the cover. It, it looks good. And I went to, um, my son told me about an organization called 99 Designs. And they have um, people who work there uh, who create covers. That's, that's what they do. And so you can present them with uh, what you want. And then uh, whoever wants to, whoever at 99 Designs wants to, will, uh, will compete for your business by de designing pos possible covers for you. And I just happened to find a wonderful woman. And she's very talented. And she actually combined, and well, she worked with me. We worked on it quite a bit together. But we, she combined two photos. One is of a young girl, um, about the, my my uh, main character's age. Yeah. Uh, just looking, uh, she looks a little um, worried or some or something like that, or you know. Uh, and behind her are uh, is a phalanx of of well, they're of police officers, kind of kind of blurred and so she she took two photographs and combined them um to create this this cover oh cool cool so what yeah, how did you I, find the um, publishing process in general um how did i think about it in general yeah how did you find it what do you think about it well um well hmm Create spaces, you know, they do their job. They they did, you know, they they published the book. Um, I'm thinking for my next novel, I might try to find an agent. Um, I don't know. I I don't know. I but I think I might. I think I might try to. Um, what one on one podcast I was listening to. I don't believe this was on yours. It was someone else's. A man <clears throat> was talking about his novel, and he said. He learned that you need to start marketing your book when you start writing it, not when you have to, not afterward. You need to start working on getting it sold. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I'm sorry. I said that was possibly one of my previous guests. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe it was. I, I can't, I've listened to a lot of different podcasts, and so I, I didn't think that was on yours, but maybe it was. Okay. Yeah. But it was a well, good, um, good, good advice. Yeah. Oh, cool. So what would you, if you could, if, when you um, plan to write your second book, what would you be doing differently? Obviously, you would start your marketing process as you were writing. What else would you be doing? Do you mean in terms of publishing? Yeah, just in general, what have you learned from, you know, going through the process this time around? And what would you be you mean, doing differently, you know, the next time around? Um, well, I'll tell, you some, I'll tell you something I learned about writing that I just really recommend to any writer. And I developed this system of uh, three by five or four by six cards. And I put, when I'm through writing my first, my, my first, um, draft of the book i go through the book and i i write one scene on each card 
And I've told, I'm in a writing group, and I told my writing group this, and, and they, I think they thought it sounds too tedious, but it's so important. So I wrote one, and I don't mean one chapter on each card. I mean one scene. <clears throat> like you could have five okay. scenes in a chapter. And then I have, then I have all those scenes. Then when I go to rewrite my book, I, I can shuffle those cards around. I can say, well, this scene would better go here. Or what do I need to add to this scene? Um, or I have something I want to add. I shuffle through the cards. Where am I going to put it? So that, that is my best advice. Well, my, my second best advice, but that's something I really, really recommend that, that writers do. And then I guess my best advice comes from um, uh, an American basketball coach named John Wooden. He said, don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can do. I totally Wonderful advice. That. Wonderful advice because when you think, oh, I'm, I can't write, I'm, you know, you, everyone has those days, I'm no good, blah, 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 blah. I'm not Hemingway, I'll never be Hemingway. No, you will never be Hemingway, but you can be you. You can be a good writer doing what you do. And I just think that's so helpful to me. Of course, of course, you know, I think that's absolutely, you know, possibly one of the best advice, you know, you could take, uh, because we are going to, if you keep leaving, if you keep seeking perfection, or, you know, waiting for the perfect alignment of the stars, it may never happen, and you would find right. that you're lagging behind, you know, considerably, uh, whereas if you just got up and just do stuff um, based on your capability at the time, you will find that you get better and better and better. Um, I know that with my first book I wrote and I thought what I wrote was okay. And this is my own personal assessment of what I wrote. And then when I wrote my second book, I thought, actually, my second book is better than my first book. And, you know, it's the more you do, the better you get. That's so true. And that's so true. And it brings me to something we all know, but I'll just repeat it. You have to have a schedule. You have to have a schedule and you have to stick to the schedule. No one's going to make you do it. You, you have to do it. So I write, <clears throat> I write two hours a day. I write an hour in the morning, right when I get up, because then I know if I do it then, then I've done it. I won't put it off, you know. And then I write in the afternoon after lunch. So um, I, and I stick to that. And <clears throat> my husband said, well, what if you don't have anything to say? What if you can't think of, you know, what to say? And you know what? Then you write about the fact that you can't think of what to say. But you do write, no matter what. Yeah. So that, that's another piece of advice I have. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. Um, it's, been, it's been truly um, interesting and amazing having you uh, on the show. Um, now I'm just trying to think. Any final words of wisdom? <clears throat> I might have given you all my wisdom. <laughs> I, I have well, a couple other things. Have, you can never have too little. I'm sure you can find one last one for my guys or my listeners. I, I have I have one other thing. I think it's really important to have a writing group. Um, okay. I th they help me so much. Let me tell you one way they helped me with this book. Uh, when I was done with the first draft, one of them said, "I know now what's wrong with this book." And I thought, "What?" And she said, your, your main character is not the hero of your book. She's an observer. And I said, you know, I, I went home and just screamed and ran and said, I'm never writing again, blah, 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 blah. 
And then when I calmed down, I sat down and I rewrote the entire book um, with my main character as the hero. And she was absolutely right. So those kind of things you can gain from a writing group that maybe you can't see yourself. Right, but then your main character being an observer is not necessarily a bad thing. She could just simply be the narrator of the story, which could also bring a unique angle, depending on how you do it, to your book. Yes, it's, it's true, but she really was, the trouble is she was really the main character. So she had to accomplish things. <clears throat> right. Uh, if, okay. if, I, if she were an observer and were observing the main character, that's a different matter, but she was the main character. Ah, so. okay. I get you now. Yeah. Okay. So you said about distributing your book on Create Space and possibly you found out about it through, um, you know, conversations. Um, did you distribute your book via Create Space alone or is it available on other channels? It's available only on Amazon. And, it, and again, it's called Berkeley Girl. Um, and there's another book on Amazon called Berkeley Girl. So I'm Elizabeth Downing Potts. And uh, so to, to distinguish from the other book, <laughs> and it is on Amazon. Okay. And um, I, the, yeah. Okay. No, thank you. That that was that was really uh, you know interesting to sort of learn you know how you got into uh, publishing. Like just to hear that you know you were there during the Vietnam War. Um, you know, because people don't like to talk about wars and the past and you know, you sort of just taking pen and paper and putting it down in a book. Um, I think that's actually quite important. I think, you know, making it personal is important. I think of, you now my book is nothing like this. Sophie's Choice is such a wonderful book. But, you know, you hear that six million Jews were killed and you can't, you can't even imagine, you know, you can't get your, you can't think about it. It's too much. But when you hear the story of this one woman and her two children and that she had to give up one of her children, that makes it personal. That makes that war personal. Yeah. And then you care. And then you care. I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, well, so I wanted to, I also, I wanted to make that time personal, you know, that, uh, that um, this was about real people and the, what they had to go through. Yes, of course, of course. Um, okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Um, do you, are you on social media? Uh, yes, um, I, so I can be reached. Um, I have a blog, and my blog is um, Liz at berkeleygirl.net. Oh, well, well, I have two. So I can be reached at berkeleygirl.net. Okay. Just that one? I, I think, yes, yes. I think okay. so. Okay, that's fine. And I don't know if you said it and I totally missed it because as you can hear the little human, she's... she's yes, I can. <laughs> she's trying to do her book reading. Um, so, because I told her she had to be quiet today. So she's kind of like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll do my read. And she will read her own books herself. Oh, um, so that's her being quiet. So we should be grateful. Oh, well, that's sweet. How old is she? She's three and a bit, three going on 30. 
I have a, a grandson who's a little over three. And we, my husband and I uh, watch him and his brother, who's one. We watch them twice a week. So oh. I know that age very well. <laughs> yes, it's the I am independent. I can do things myself. Um, yes. You know, so that's, that's where the age we has now. And then, you know, she knows how to blackmail. Because the other day I said, no, you're not having any biscuit. And then she goes, you're not my friend. You're not my family. I'm like, what? Well, I'm not. And he goes, you said no cookies. So you're not my friend. You're not my family. I'm like, oh. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah, she does know yes. blackmail. Yes, they learn so early, don't they? Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know where they learn it from, but, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It seems innate almost. I know, I know. Um, but I love, I love that age because, well, my grandson is so open to the world. He's, he, he so wants to know everything and he, he soaks everything up and he, you know, he actually listens to me. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, I'm going to go and attend to someone, you know, um, try and help her with her reading. Um, it's been yeah. an absolute pleasure having you on the show and possibly we might have you on the show again sometime soon. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed talking with you and uh, yeah, and you made me feel very comfortable. Oh, thank you very much. Well, it is a virtual cafe and people should come to the cafe and get relaxed, you know, so I thank you for um, achieving that for me. <laughs> but oh, thank you. Listening, um, it's the Shagilala Salami show and I'm Shagilala Salami um, and it's a virtual cafe. So we have drinks and banter and chat about books and publishing and hear authors and other people's inspiring stories. So hope to catch you again sometime soon. Bye now. Bye-bye.